Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, listeners. This is Les Raymond with the Mindful Movement Podcast, where we facilitate an environment to empower growth among a community of like-minded individuals who strive to live mindfully in all aspects of their lives. Today, we are excited to bring an inspiring conversation with Sarah and our guest, Tom McCook, from Center of Balance in Mountain View, California. Tom is a well-known master trainer presenting on Pilates Anytime, as well as conferences internationally. And at the same time, he is so down to earth. In this episode, Tom shares his valuable advice for mindful movement instructors, studio owners, and people looking to incorporate mindfulness into their lives. Thanks for listening. If you have a friend, coworker, or family member that you think will get value from this episode, please help support the growing movement of mindfulness and share the show. If you post on social media, be sure to tag us. Interviews are published every Wednesday, and meditations are published on YouTube every Monday. Enjoy the show. I'm very excited to welcome Tom McCook to the podcast today. Hi, Tom. Hi, Sarah. Nice, thanks, nice to hear from you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me today. I know you're you're busy, so it's great to have you. Um, Pleasure to be here. So I'll just start with your background. It's a fairly extensive background, so I'll just touch on the main points, and then maybe we can hear from you about uh, a little bit of the details of your journey. Okay. So uh, Tom Cook is the co-owner and director of Center of Balance in Mountain View, California. He's an internationally recognized fitness and movement specialist. He's a master instructor and teaches Balance Body's comprehensive Pilates certification program, as well as the Coraline training and the Bodhi suspension system. He's been teaching certification courses since 2000, and he's a level three Franklin Method educator and teacher trainer. And his teaching approach integrates his extensive training in mind-body practices, including the Franklin Method, yoga, shiatsu, body therapy, somatics, resistance stretching, body code, meditation, as well as life coaching. So he's got a lot going for him here. Um, he's an international speaker at conferences and has multiple classes and tutorials available through Pilates Anytime. 
Um, and additionally, Tom travels to studios around the world, and that's one of the ways that I got to work with him uh, in the past. Um, a number of years ago, I, was, I feel very lucky to have had Tom come out to my studio in Maryland, and he taught a weekend-long training, which incorporated the Franklin Method with Pilates. And I feel like it was a really inspirational weekend, and it was um, a time that led my career and my teaching down a different path than it was headed. And I'm really very grateful to have had that experience um, with you, Tom. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear a little bit more, as I said, about your journey and specifically about your passion for educating students and teachers through mindful movement. So maybe mm -hmm. you could share a little bit about that. Okay. I, um, well, I started training, when I look back, I started training people when I was 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm the youngest of 12 kids and I have eight brothers and I, I, being the youngest of a very physical family in the East Coast, I, um, I decided I think getting stronger physically would be a good idea for me. <laughs> Survival <laughs> of the fittest. Exactly. So I actually built a gym in my cellar when I was 11 years old, and I was training the neighborhood. And I had, I had kids doing like a circuit, and I was building all these stations. So I had, I had a passion for movement and exercise at a very young age. And I had a lot of older brothers that were into athletics. I had one brother who's had a karate school now for over 50 years. So I had a lot of influence of watching them do what they were doing and being inspired in that way. But I, but I realized as I started getting into exercise and athletics at a young age, I also had a really strong curiosity about what it meant to be coordinated and being able to move well. Like I always found myself watching people that seemed really good at what they were doing. And I was really curious at what made them stand out and why they were so much better than others and making it look so much easier. So that just was always in the backdrop for me. And I, um, I moved to California when I was 20 years old and did various jobs while I was going to school. And then I, I just, I was managing Gold's gym at night um, when I was 24 and I, was observing the way people were exercising and I just found it really troubling to see how a high percentage of the people who were exercising seemed to be leaving out that component of coordinated skillful movement. Mm -hmm. So I just was I just was like wow it's really there's such a big disparity around how people live in their body and how they approach not just exercise but just movement and being in gravity. Mm -hmm. And I um so I, I decided to start my own business. I started a training business at 24, and within three months, I had a full schedule. I was, you know, I had like 30 to 40 appointments a week very quickly, and it's been that way for the last 30 years now. Wow. So I just feel very fortunate that I found something that I was passionate about, but a, an arena where I felt really comfortable connecting with people inside of that environment. So I, I just felt like I had very good rapport with people from a, from the start, and that was helpful in me developing a successful business. Um, the gym environment soon became a little flat for me. So like around my four or five years in, I think I was 28, I went to a demonstration of shiatsu, mm -hmm. and at the time I had never had a massage in my life. So I never had you know any experience of that whatsoever. And I got to be the guinea pig, fortunately, for the demonstration. And the man who was teaching the course had trained in Japan, and he was just very gifted with touch and the whole quality of 
that type of work. And I was really blown away by the effect it had on me physically, mentally, and emotionally. Where I just felt, wow, this is a whole nother way of cultivating health and awareness that I had never been experienced. So that was, um, that was a turning point for me in, in how I wanted to work with people and how I wanted to work with my own practice about cultivating health and fitness. So I started to look more into that direction. I took that year-long training with him right after that. And then at the time, my, my girlfriend at the time was a Aikido teacher, and she, she exposed me to a whole other avenue of movement. And I took this training in somatics with somebody that she knew in the Aikido world. And, I, and somatics basically means how we live in our body. How do we use our body as a resource for attention, for stress, to ground ourselves in difficult conversations? Another another arena that I hadn't been exposed to at that time. And so I took a year-long training with a, a man named Richard Heckler, who has a school called the Strozzi Institute of Somatic Coaching and Leadership. And at the time, it was it was a pretty radical move for me. I was 29. And right away, we went into a year-long training where we did group therapy, um, body work, breath work, meditation, movement, from a very different perspective than I was um, accustomed to. So that was, um, that was a big, big shift for me in my career. I, I moved out of the gym and um, started training people more with doing more body work, probably about 50% body work, 50% fitness training. And outside of that training, I, I kept moving in another direction. So I went into a four-and-a-half-year apprenticeship in body work and Feldenkrais, which was a, a movement practice of awareness through movement. And out of a, another a colleague who had taken the training was Richard Heckler, a man named Randy Cherner. And in the middle of that, I met a woman who was in the training, a woman named Kathy, who was into Pilates. And, um, and she was really fit and lovely person. And I just asked her what she did to stay fit. She said, oh, I do Pilates. Again, I had never heard of Pilates. And so, <laughs> so I said, wow. So right from there, right around the corner from my house in Palo Alto, I found a Pilates studio. So I started taking two to three privates a week while I was in this bodywork training. And that was just a, a metamorphosis of me moving out of the gym environment and moving more into body work and mindful movement and it just really changed the direction of my career, how I work with people, and I found it much more fulfilling mm -hmm. for me personally. And also, um, I found the connections that I was making with people was um, a little more rich, and I found the work to be more um, helping them make changes in their body that were functionally really supporting who they wanted to be and how they experienced their life. So that was that was that was probably the primary big shifts for me that have moved forward from there. Wow, that's a it's a great story. You have a lifelong love of learning. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely, and and I feel really fortunate that I'm, you know, here I am, thirty years in, and I feel, I feel more curious now than ever. Wow. wow. It's, it's just pretty. I feel you know really lucky to to be in that space. Yeah, that's great. Well, my experience with you and when you came out to our studio uh, as a mentor and as an educator was definitely, as, as I said, life-changing in many ways. So um, I'm wondering if you have a specific mentor that had a significant impact on you. You talked a about a couple uh, people, but anyone specifically? 
Yeah, I would say I would say Richard Heckler. Richard Heckler is he's the founder of the Strozzi Institute. Prior to the Strozzi Institute, it was called the Lomi School, mm-hmm. and he's um, he's a PhD psychologist. He was an Olympic runner, uh, a pre-Olympic runner, and also he's a like a seventh degree black belt in Aikido. But he's been at this for a long time, and he was from a mentor perspective of, of a man. He's probably the first man I could say in my life that I would say when he was speaking to me seemed so authentic, powerful, and kind at the same time. Mm. It was really um, moving and touching for me that even after I took the training from him in 1990, I didn't see him for 16 years after that, but I always re- I always thought of him as my mentor, that he was still still guiding me. And now I'm back training with him again. I have for the last... 10 years going and doing yearly meditation retreats with him and uh, currently doing another advanced training with him. But I just found his, he's somebody who um, said something in our training that always stuck with me. They said, you know, respect is not negotiable. Mm. Respect is where we start. We don't, people do not have to earn your respect. We bring that to the table so then we can actually do something positive together. That's great. And that's, all, that's always just... Um, strongly resonated for me and looking at the, our current world condition, I think it's actually something that's missing. Sure. So this is the somatics instructor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, um, for those of us who don't know myself included, really what somatics is, you explained it a little bit. Is it, is it a movement practice or is it more of a, um, like a psychology or, um, like personal development it's a it's a little bit of movement like from the from the Strozzi Institute they use they'll use Aikido movements which is like doing movement in relationship to another person mm. so say you're somebody is coming towards you you could say we're factory loaded to do three things under pressure we're either going to freeze we're going to flee or we're going to fight mm. And that could be in a conversation. It could be in anything that you could consider incoming, something that's coming towards you that you're anticipating it from a reactive perspective. And that's, that's we're all just loaded to react that way. And in somatics practice, you learn how to create a different choice where you use your body to ground yourself, to sense your posture, and then to face into the grab, face into the incoming so you can be more skillful powerful, have your dignity, but also allow the other person to have theirs too. So it's really about relationships and being in the world and cultivating positive change. And our body is a big, big part of that. Like you can't leave your body out. Our body is a resource for information, intelligence, and dignity. And it tends to be left out in difficult situations and we get very heady. And um, it's not it's a missing it's a missing thing. So we do practices around how do you expose your own tendencies so then you have something to work on. And then other practices that would be included would be meditation, um, group therapy, coaching around your life. How am I cultivating balance? But the, the big piece in their perspective around the coaching work is they include the body. It's not just about setting goals. And, you know, making those tangible changes in the world, it's really working with yourself and um, how do you hold tension in your body? How has your body been shaped by your experiences of your life? Wow, that sounds like a powerful experience and something that we could use in so many different aspects of our lives. Mm -hmm. That's great. 
Uh, so um, I've been watching you on Pilates Anytime for a, a while now, and uh, it seems like you have a number of classes and tutorials that fall under the mindful movement category, which is mm -hmm. great, um, and specifically on creating awareness. Um, mm -hmm. And in this program, you share topics like meditation, and there's a little tutorial on uh, inhabiting your body, um, and often you use the Franklin Method in your Pilates classes. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, how I've experienced you as an edu educator as well. So um, I was curious, um, how did you come to find the Franklin Method, and what made you decide to incorporate it into how you teach Pilates specifically? I went to a workshop in San Francisco in uh, 2002 with Eric Franklin on the Franklin Method. It was just like a three-hour workshop on uh, relieving shoulder and neck tension. At a, Pilates, at a Pilates studio up there. And I was just really taken by his approach to teaching, that his approach was really more about embodying your anatomy opposed to just learning anatomy. Mm -hmm. so, so you could put your anatomy learning into a couple categories. Like one category would be topographical. So topographical is where you're looking at an anatomy book and you can say, okay, yeah, there's my bicep and it attaches here and it attaches there. And we, you know, we memorize the names and bones and all the places. And that's just kind of stage one of learning anatomy. And I think a lot of times the way it's taught is that that's, it doesn't go beyond that. Sure. And I think that's kind of a mistake. And what Eric does, is, which is brilliant, is he's having you learn not just where things are, but why have they evolved that way? And how do you experience them physically through touch, movement, and imagery. And I found that to be dramatic at really changing how you experience your body. It's another avenue of somatics. That's the way I looked at it because of my background in somatics. But I found it the best way to teach people how to create positive change for themselves. So if you educate somebody about how their shoulder girdle works, then you could give them a cue that related to their anatomy in real time when they're doing a Pilates exercise. But if they don't have an understanding of that part of their body and you give them an anatomical cue, it's no longer a cue, it's a goal. So they just went into a little bit of confusion because they don't have a clear concept of that, so their mind and body can't work as well together to notice is what they're doing optimal based on a clear understanding. Mm. So I just found it, 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 it simplifies how to teach, it simplifies how to... Um, view the body because once you understand how things are meant to, to move together it becomes easy and easier to see what's missing or what's not optimal or what's not quite aligned or moving the way it was designed and that was that's been um it's been really fun to teach that way because as an educator you're also embodying as you're teaching and i don't know if you ever heard of the the uh the mirror neuron theory i don't think i have <laughs> so the mirror neuron theory is basically when we are doing something together, say you're viewing me do something and you're watching how I do it, the same neurons in you are being activated that are being activated in me. Oh, wow. So, so there's a transmittal when we do something together. It's like if you go into a room full of people that have kind of schlumpy posture. Mm -hmm. And you stand there with really great posture. Sooner or later, you will watch people start to mirror your posture. Interesting. 
And it's the same thing. And, and the benefit of the, of the Franklin method is you're not just teaching from your head. You're teaching from as you're giving cues. You're also, as a teacher and educator, you're trying to embody it yourself, which has a stronger effect on your student. But also you get the benefit of the lesson as you teach. Hmm. And some, I just find that to be a, a superior way to teach from my perspective. And I've gotten good feedback and the results in my studio have been have been great. And I just see people get healthier because I still think in our world today, the people having a lot of physical problems, I think number one in the country of um, medical issues is pain management. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still a big emphasis of imagery on what the problem is instead of how do I teach people optimum health and well-being? And how do I get them to focus on that, use their mind, understand their body better so they can direct their attention to that and get the health benefits of their attention, their physical understanding, doing simple exercises, exercises that are about relating to gravity, moving through space, sitting, standing, breathing, and thinking better. It doesn't even need to be about doing hard exercise, just about improving function. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely what we what we need in our culture, right? Yeah, and I think it's all there. We just have to keep leaning in the direction of, of responsi- personal responsibility and educating people about their amazing bodies. Sure, we, have, we all have to be our own best advocates, right? Yeah. So I'm curious about this, um, what did you call it, the mirror? Tell me one more time. I forgot. The mirror n- neuron. Mirror Mi- neuron theory? Yeah, or just you could say mirror and neurons because we have mirror, okay. we have them in our body. So would that be applicable to say someone that has an injury on one side of their body? So, for mm-hmm. example, if you have a broken arm and you are working the other arm. Yes. Okay. Same thing because because there's there's an effect on the other arm just from working the other side. Wow. So you can like. Um, lessen the effects of mus- muscular atrophy if you have an injury and you're still working the non-injured side. Yes, and then you can use imagery and just image that it's the other side being activated because even just through imagining a movement, I think the, the research says that 10% of the muscles are activated through the nervous system without actually even doing it just from imaging. And that's a really great great way to actually have teach people how to um, move with more efficiency, but learn how to move without moving at all. Because when, if you do image, if you image a movement without doing it, you bypass the movement tendencies that might not be as accurate. So you you can limit some like poor habitual movement patterns that might be embedded in your body. Yes. That's very interesting. and, And it's a great skill for, I mean, a lot of athletes use it, golfers use it. People can use it as a way to, you know, there's, there's lots of stories of people learning a skill without actually doing it by just using imagery. Sure. I would imagine that would be good for, say, dancers to practice choreography so they're not physically doing it over mm-hmm. and over again. Absolutely. That's a Very great powerful. So after teaching like this in this way for so long, um, do you have a specific success story from your, your students or the teachers that you've worked with? I do. I, I have. I have a few. I have. Um, I have three Olympic gold medalists that I've worked with. Um, uh, Jenny Thompson was a, a Stanford swimmer who's. I think she has twelve Olympic gold medals as a swimmer. 
Natalie Coughlin, another 12 gold medal swimmer. I worked with her for eight years, twice a week. I worked with Jenny for four years. And Misty Hyman uh, was a gold medalist in the 2000 Olympics. I was right there while she won it. She won the 200 butterfly against um, a woman named Susie O'Neill, who was strongly favored. It was in Australia, and she was at the time like the favored Australian swimmer. And Misty was not, you know, she was unknown at the time and not really scheduled to do much. And I worked with her. We were in Australia for a month prior to the to the final. And I worked with her twice a day doing Pilates and imagery and stretching and movement. And um, she swam the fastest she's she ever swam at the final and won by a body length and a half the gold medal. Wow. She was just the, it was probably one of the high points of my career of working with people, of working with an athlete. It was just um, an amazing experience. Yeah, I think uh, I'd love to pack away in someone's suitcase and be their Pilates stru- instructor for hire in Australia. <laughs> that would be it, great. It was really fun. Yeah. I think outside of, I think outside of that, I mean, that's kind of a high profile person which sure. was wonderful to work with. But I have um I have a woman named Kim Aarons who's been in a wheelchair for 12 years now from a severe car accident and had a cervical injury that's a uh, partial severing of her spinal cord. And we work together each week and she's made dramatic progress of when she first came in, she had like 30 degree scoliotic curve. She couldn't sit up without using her arms. And now she can sit up, put her arms out to the side, put her arms overhead. Her mobility is dramatically improved. And, um, you know, she can't walk on her own yet with, she has to use crutches and, but she's, she, the progress has been way more than we expected. And um, there's, I'm just noticing when I work with her that muscles are learning to innervate in ways that weren't the way that we are all designed. Mm. Like the, the body is finding a way by giving it feedback and, sure. you know, so it's been, a, it's been a very rewarding relationship to work with her. And we use a lot of imagery and, and she lets me, we do all kinds of stuff that are outside of the box. Like I'll have her. I'll put her in every position and move her spine in every position over barrels and roll her up where I'll hold the bar and roll her up like a rolled up on the trap table and roll her back down. So she's just doing things that were not part of her protocol prior to her coming to me. And it's, it's been a, it's created a lot of positive change for her. That's great. Yeah. It seems like there's a, a big uh, movement towards using Pilates with spinal cord injuries and other rehab based um programs, you know, MS, Parkinson's, it's really phenomenal. It is. It is. And I think our Pilates training is, is, um, I think when a teacher becomes Pilates trained, they assume the assumption is a lot of other people are trained that way. But I think there's, there's so much emphasis on specific positioning and good hands-on cueing for muscle activation that that's not really the way a lot of trainers are trained. It's a little more general. And I think our Pilates training is is superior in that way. And I think it's very useful for the, for the conditions you just mentioned, but just for everybody to learn how to use their body better. Sure. Do you, do you have any ideas about where this, where our Pilates industry is going in the future with all these changes? It's interesting um, where it's currently at. I think you probably have noticed this yourself that the, the industry goes back and forth between hard fitness and 
more mindful approach, and I think it's back at hard fitness right now. Mm-hmm. And I think our because our culture is more of an image-based culture. Sure. Our, our culture, you know, I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter what brings somebody into the studio. It could be just for aesthetic reasons. They want to look a particular way. That's totally fine. But I think as you get a little older and you start to get a little bit of a concept of aging, that the whole notion of just working hard, you have to question it because your body starts to hurt. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, from my perspective, the things that have been really helpful for me working with people are the Franklin Method. Uh, Z Health is another company that does a lot of work on joint restoration. So I use a lot of joint mobility, Franklin Method as a backdrop for teaching people how to use their body better. And I think that's that's kind of more of the road because the um, you know a lot of the science is showing that you're in and around your joints is where you have most of the neuroreceptors that tell your body where you are in space. Mm. So if you're not mobilizing your joints well, it's hard to have good proprioception, which is required to learn to move better and put less wear and tear on the wrong body parts. Sure. So that's, and that's something people can do anywhere. It's not hard, but it just makes your body function better. And that's, I think, um, with the people that I'm working with and what I see is that I think healthy aging and successful aging with, you know, I think in the next 15, 20 years, there's going to be like 35 million more people over the age of 65. Mm-hmm. So I think just with that whole notion, if personally, I feel if people are not working on learning how to use their body better as they age, that's not a great situation. Sure. I think you end up with dealing with a lot of physical pain. You might come to retirement age. And now all of a sudden your body isn't working that well and it's hard to enjoy the time you have. So it has to be part of our lifestyles where we're developing a movement practice and a mindful movement practice, meaning that you're learning how to use your attention and quality of movement better. And that's if people lean in that direction, I just see that they they really enjoy their life more. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's it's a hopeful concept. Like there's, you know, science proves that you can teach an old dog new tricks. You know, know, that old story, oh, you know, you can't learn as you get older. It's really not true. The brain is always changing. And the number one, the number one component of that time and time again has been proved over and over again is your attention. Right. Well, that's good news for all of us because we're all aging, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's, and and that's a hopeful concept that you can get, you can get better as you age. It doesn't mean you have to keep doing hard things, but you can get a little more refined, a little more graceful. Uh, yeah, good news. I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've heard a little bit about your success stories. So um, is there anything that you would consider a great learning opportunity? I don't want to say a failure or a mistake, but uh, something that you experienced that you learned from and that maybe us, um, all of the listeners could learn from as well. Mm-hmm. I have a few. I have a few. I one. I um, I had a really nasty injury to my right shoulder, and this was this was while I was teaching. This was only like five years ago. Hmm. I fell. I I was cueing somebody on the first session of the year, January fourth, and they were rolling down, and I was cueing their spine, and I was sliding back on the table, and I fell off the table. Oh, <laughs> 
and I and I'm so unused to falling that I didn't even register as falling. <laughs> and I, I'm like, hey, I'm falling. Wow. <laughs> And and then I, I when I hit the ground I didn't brace at all, mm. and my arm got jammed up into my shoulder joint and it sh- it tore four muscles all the way through. Oh my goodness! So three of my rotator cuffs and my bicep got ripped completely through. Wow! So I so that was a very humbling experience. So I was immediately I couldn't externally rotate my arm at all. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> so, so I was um so I had to have surgery had the three muscles reattached my bicep relocated I was out of the studio for uh, over a month and I couldn't do any strength exercises for 4 months So I it was a big learning curve of wow you know my I'm very susceptible like the rest of us to injury and I mm-hmm. I um I just went through a I was actually scheduled at the time to do 30 days in silence. I was scheduled to go into a retreat for 30 days that I had been planning for a couple of years. And I, my retreat ended up being at home with a shoulder injury. <laughs> Sometimes the body tells you what it needs, right? Yeah. And I think the big learning curve for me with that, I, you know, I've, was that I, I had a lot more empathy for people with injuries mm. and that, and that when you're injured, you're, you know, there's a vulnerability that comes with that and that you you really need to learn to be kind to yourself. And that was it for me is I had to learn to be a little kinder to myself, step out of what I typically do to, you know, take care of myself and let it be OK that I couldn't do any any type of, you know, the reg- regular format of exercise that I was used to. What I learned from it, though, is that I did. um I did joint mobility exercises like three to five times a day for four months on every joint, every joint other than the shoulder. Cause you know, I could do a little bit and that I learned through the doctor that I healed two to three times faster than what was expected. Wow. And I didn't, and I didn't develop a bunch of compensations in my muscles around my spine or my neck. So it really helped me heal faster and not get all out of whack muscularly without doing any strength exercises. Mm. So that was a big learning. I mean, that was, so that was a humbling experience. I'd say from a, um, another learning curve was uh, opening my business when I was 24 mm. and, and realizing that I really didn't know a whole lot about running a business. So, <laughs> I mean, I was good with people, but I, I went through some periods of, you know, not managing my money well and, um, just a lot of difficulty around that. And and I had difficulty around asking for help. So I grew up in a family that was very stoic and you were, you know, you're to do it yourself or if you couldn't do it yourself, you figure it out. So that was a, for me, I, a big learning curve around being successful in a business was learning how to ask for help and expose the areas where I hadn't had any development or skill. And that's, um, and a big support for that is currently my what I'm really grateful for is my wife Karen, who we we co-run our business together. We kind of divide and conquer. She does more of the the financial management and the web design, and and I manage the teachers and the the teaching side of the studio. Mm-hmm. That's that's just been um, very healing for me, and uh, that it's it's a good thing to ask for help, and it's actually necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I recently heard a saying that you should delegate everything but your brilliance, and it sounds like <laughs> you have that you have that down. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a daily learning for sure. sure. But I, I, but I, I think you know, I. It wasn't the way I was raised, but I believe that people want to help, mm-hmm. and they want to be asked, and uh, and that's how you empower people. And I. That's true. More and more that I trust that it it rings true for me. So having opened a, uh, your own business at 24 and learning a lot of things along the way, is is there any advice that you'd have for someone that's considering opening a business or someone who's just started off? I would. I, I would. I would. Um, I would tell them for one, include all your considerations. Like if you say you're, you know, when I first opened my studio, I, you know. A lot of considerations came up like, oh, what if I don't have clients? What if they don't like me? All, all those things. Instead of resisting them, just list them all, like include them in the process and talk it out with somebody you trust. But get very clear on what your what your intentions are, like what is it that you want to develop? Why are you stepping into this? But but keep keep including the considerations because that's normal to have them. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking you shouldn't have them or that means that you shouldn't do this, because that's actually very normal when you raise your level of responsibility to have a lot of considerations come up for you to look at. And um, and my one of my coaches said something to me that always, you know, I, I, I think about it almost daily. He said, you know, success has nothing to do with being comfortable. You know, you that's know, true. You know, so you, but you can misinterpret that to think if you're uncomfortable, that you're not right for this job, or you're not good enough, or whatever it might be. Instead of it's normal if you're taking risks and doing things that are new, to feel uncomfortable, and just include that. Include comfortable. Share how you're feeling with others. And and if you're starting a business, I recommend getting. You know, not just personal sessions in the Pilates world, but get, you know, work with a coach once in a while. Mm-hmm. Somebody who can help you refine your goals. You know, you can voice your concerns and you can get honest, unbiased feedback. Sure. Yeah. It's so valuable to do that, not, you know, try to do it alone. And it's, it's just it's just money really well spent, I believe. Yeah, definitely. Great advice. Mm-hmm. So um, having worked with people and specifically helping people in your industry, and um, it can be mentally and physically exhausting. And it sounds mm-hmm. like um, you've, you've had experiences where you had to take off work and because of injuries. And um, I was wondering if uh, on a regular basis, if you have any recovery strategies that help to prevent burnout in this industry? I do. I do. I, I um, One thing I... I Daily meditation is like um, I can't promote that more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've meditated daily now for over 20 years. And um, the days that I don't, which is few and far between now, mm-hmm. I feel much more effect, affected by life and by the world. So I think it's you need something to help reset your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um and even if you only have a few minutes, and there's so many good apps and availability for meditation now, whether it's Headspace or these different things that you can do, I think every teacher, somebody who works with people every day, I just think the whole the whole world should meditate. But I think, you know, in particular, teachers need to actually have time to drop out of their persona and just kind of sense themselves and 
it's very restorative. I mean, there's so much research on now and how restful it can be for your nervous system. So that's, that's one thing. And the other thing I do is every week at my studio for the last 20 years on Tuesday and Thursdays from three 30 to five, I have staff workout time hmm. where only the staff are allowed in the studio and we work out together. And it's an opportunity for us to talk about challenges, but also I do in services. I teach them skills on different topics and it's a way to connect and cultivate our community. So it's a, it's a time to give back to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a big mistake for teachers to buy into the story that they're too busy to do their own practice. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I've taught around the world and I routinely ask that question to teachers in the workshops. How many of you have bought into the story that you're too busy to do your own, to take care of yourself? And, and inevitably about a third of the room raises their hand. Wow. And I'll ask, so why are you here? <laughs> so, because I think personally, if I don't take care of myself, I'm not that interested in taking care of another person. Sure, you can't give it's, what you don't have, right? No, it just feels it just feels you know the tank is empty and it's it's just not as good. It's just a little bit of a burn, you know. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's a it's an obligation to ourselves and to our clients to put ourselves first, and that's you know not just you know whether it be getting enough sleep, but I think just doing, you know, doing your own personal practice around what your profession is and meditation are actually the two key things that I use. And then I do it once a year. I do a yearly retreat. I do a seven to 10 days in silence once a year. Wow, that's great advice. So for those people who they will say, well, I can't sit still. How can I meditate? I do you have any advice for them? I get that a lot. Right. I say that's why you want to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> you see, well, the thing that that's a really good point, because the thing is, people have this conception of meditation that you're supposed to stop your mind. That's not meditation. Mm -hmm. That's really just a, a, a misunderstanding or an assumption made. It's kind of the whole purpose of meditation is to learn to cultivate your attention. It's not to stop your mind because that's not possible. Mm -hmm. So just I think it's more like that's an opportunity to open up and say, well, you know, what are what assumptions have you made about what meditation is? Because mm. all, all we're really doing is cultivating our ability to be with ourselves, And that's and that's pretty critical if we're going to be fully with another. So I think, you know, if somebody says I have difficulty meditating or I think all they're saying is I don't know what meditation is and I'm a little afraid of it. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, well, well, let me let me help you with that. And let me let's expose the questions you have that are or assumptions you've made, and why don't we do a short five-minute sit together? Sure. And that's, I think that's, and, and I think that's, there's so many apps out there that give people like a really quick experience of what meditation actually is, mm -hmm. that it's, it's, um, it's very useful, because I think, I think that's the primary reason why people don't sit is because they're afraid of, of, or they have some notions of it being something that they don't feel is possible for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Or they don't think they have enough time for it, or yeah, right. Even just five minutes is yeah. The, the Dalai Lama. I don't know if you ever heard what he said. He said, you know, when I'm, I typically meditate an hour, but on days when I know I'm going to be really busy, I meditate for two. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Tom, I know you're really busy, so I want to let you get on with your day. But um, maybe you could tell the listeners how to reach you, where we can connect with you, what, what you're doing in the future, how we can find out more about that. 
Um, I have a, a lot of great information off of our website, which is centerofbalance.com. And I'll have, um, I have a, a certification program I do through Balance Body of the Pilates certification, which is modular. It's weekend courses that happen each month. And then I have advanced trainings on Friday nights that are, I'm in the middle of finishing a series this month. And then I'll have a whole nother series starting next year, which will be eight sequences or eight Friday nights over a eight month period beginning probably in March. Um, I teach on Pilates on tour, which is a uh, conferences that will this year coming up. I'll be teaching in Seoul, Korea, if you're in the area <laughs> and then our studio in Mountain View, California, will be hosting a Pilates on tour for Pilates teachers in the last weekend of July. And then my support, if you, if you want to take any classes with me, check out Pilates anytime. And if you use the code McCook in capitals, M-C-C-O-O-K, through that code, you'll get a, a month for free. Oh, that's great. And I have currently I have 22 classes. I just shot seven more. That'll be being added a few more tutorials. So I'll have 29 and check them out. There's a lot of other great teachers on there, too. I think you'd enjoy. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And I'll um, I'll put all those links in our show notes so people can easily get in contact with you and find out more about what you're doing. And um, any plans for taking this uh, advanced training outside of your studio on Friday nights? <laughs> I am. I, I have it in. Uh, I'm teaching in um, Eindhoven, Amsterdam next year. Okay. And um, I, I basically do it on request, so I have it at the studio, and then I, you know, like coming to your place. I just base it on relationships that I have, and mm-hmm. and make sure I have a, a decent balance of being home. Also. Sure, that's important. <laughs> uh-huh. So I have one last question for you, and um, I think we talked a little bit, well, a good bit about it, but I'd like to know if you have a specific definition of mindfulness and how you say you'd use it in your life and work. My definition of mindfulness is is being present to what is without getting taken out by your internal story or interpretation. Like, so, so for me, if you're, like you're in a situation with a client who comes in who is in pain or discomfort or in a bad mood or any of those things, instead of going into the interpretation of that experience to really sense my own body, feel my breathing, my feet on the ground, and and just be with what is without trying to fix it or change it. Mm. And that I found just that in itself in, in with myself or with all my relationships allows something authentic to come through that can be helpful instead of I think a lot of the interpretations we have when we go up into our head come back to what I mentioned about somatics about either fighting fleeing or freezing Mm -hmm. where we're going more into an interpretation for Mm -hmm. self-protection and I think that I think that's a practice in itself that needs to be cultivated um, to be mindful is, you know, you can be really fit, but still not be a very nice person. You know? That's for sure. <laughs> you know? So I think like being intentional, like what am I cultivating in myself or where are the places that I, that I want to expand, whether it be being a little more, um, a little kinder or, or a little more gracious with others or being a little more generous. Mm-hmm. Those are all part of a mindfulness a mindfulness practice that require us to pay attention a little bit more to notice if those things are, are, are we moving in those directions or not? 
Right. And that's, 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 I think for me, like being mindful means that we're willing to look at ourselves and notice what actually do we feel good about and what, what are the places where we'd like to develop a little more. And that requires a little higher degree of attention, but it also makes our life more rich and fulfilling, I think. Yeah, I agree. When you start to live and make decisions in alignment with the things that are really important to you, those values, those qualities that you want to embody and cultivate, like you said, makes life more fulfilling, right? Yeah. And I think, go ahead. I was going to say, you feel like you have a little bit of control over, you know, the choices that you make and how, how, your life manifests. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I also think like you mentioned earlier, the question about burnout, if you're taking the time to notice those things of what, how do I want to be in the world? What values do I have? You're less, you, you end the day a little more grateful and a little more fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Even if you're tired, being tired is okay, but it's, it's one thing to be tired and disconnected. And it's another thing to be tired, but also, in touch with what, you know, how you want to be in the world and are you cultivating that? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. We can all, all learn from these things that you're telling us. So thank mm-hmm. you. My pleasure. All right. Well, Tom, um, as I said, I'll put all of your information in the show notes so listeners can connect with you and maybe meet up with you in uh, various locations around the world. <laughs> Sounds great. And hear what you have to say. So thank you so much for taking your time and um, lots of wisdom that you uh, imparted on us. So thank you so much. Uh, It's been my pleasure, Sarah. So great to talk with you. Good to speak with you as well.